Big news after big news just keeps raining down on us today. Kyler Murray, Jason Witten, Bryce Harper. It all comes tumbling down into our lap. Tanner Hoops with you. This is the Sports Pen on ESPN UPWZAM Ishpeming Marquette. Thanks for hanging out with me on your Thursday afternoon. A couple of guests are going to be stopping by later on, including Jake Durant from Local 3 TV. Glad to have you along with us. What a news day it's been today. Kyler Murray's measurements were released early this morning. We all thought that's what would dominate the headlines today. Then, just after lunch, Jason Witten makes his return. He's back from retirement. Jason Witten leaving the Monday night football booth, and he's heading back to the football field, heading to the Dallas Cowboys. And then, just about an hour ago, Bryce Harper gets a 13-year $330 million deal to play baseball for the Philadelphia Phillies. When I got here today, I planned on talking about how I didn't believe that the Dodgers were the Phillies' biggest threat to signing Bryce Harper. In fact, their biggest threat was the San Francisco Giants. That's how I was going to approach the Bryce Harper saga today. And then about an hour ago, it's been a mad scramble. I wasn't in the office when I found out. I was actually back from getting a sandwich. And I realized, I gotta be on the air in less than an hour. And all my show prep just went out the window. Because the Phillies decide to act on Bryce Harper now. Around 3 p.m. this afternoon. So Harper is heading to the Philadelphia Phillies. His deal, again, 13 years with no opt-out options. That's big. No opt-out options for Harper. And it's worth $330 million. $30 million more than Manny Machado. The guy he was playing chicken with to try and beat to see who was going to get the deal last. Who could get more money. I don't think that the Dodgers were ever a serious target on either Harper or his agent Scott Boris's radar. I thought the Giants were a bigger threat. The Giants wanted him for a long-term deal. That's what I was going to talk about on the show today. In fact, I was going to start with the Boston Celtics. That was going to be my first topic today. We'll save that for later when Jake's here. But now Bryce Harper has a new team. Did you know that today he was named the National League MVP favorite? He didn't even have a team two hours ago. But he's that special of a player. Philly is selling the whole house to get him, but they are going all in. I really thought the Giants had an opportunity to land him. But I get the feeling that Scott Boris had Philadelphia in the back of his mind the entire time. And he was baiting the hook. Baiting the hook out there just a little bit for the Dodgers, the Giants, teams to look interested and show the Phils there's some competition here. But there really wasn't. He had no intention of signing with him. It was a bluff just to get the Phils to put out more money. And they finally did. But could they have gone even farther? Could they have got more money? It's tough to think if you wanted to get more than $330 million. 13-year deal with no opt-outs? What if he gets hurt? Credit Harper. Scott Boris. They both got what they wanted done. And Harper has the deal that he wanted. In addition to the Giants being serious contenders, unlike the Dodgers, to land Bryce Harper, I was going to talk about how the Phillies appeared to be losing interest. They were ready to move on, with or without Harper. We're a month away from opening day. They were ready. They were ready to put their team on the field and just go with it, because with or without Harper, they still got a really good team that's going to contend for the NL East this season. They were an up-and-coming team last year. They flew under the radar a little bit. That won't be the case this season. This is going to come with high expectations, as it should. 
but I don't blame Bryce Harper's agent, Scott Boris, for the timing of this. Even though it screwed up my show prep, trying to do this on the fly, even though all that happened, I don't blame Scott Boris for what happened because he recognized the Phils were losing interest. That's what I wanted to get at today. That's what I wanted to touch on, is that the Phillies are losing interest, and that's leaving the door open for the Giants. But Scott Boris finally realized that the Phils are ready to move on. They're ready to pull their offer off the table. And I thought Will Kane said it beautifully on his show just about an hour ago. You know it's important when Jason Witten comes out of retirement and rejoins the Cowboys and Will Kane chooses to start with baseball and Bryce Harper instead. Will Kane had the perfect analogy for it. We all seem to know that the Phillies were the front runners for Harper. This whole time it always seemed like it was going to happen eventually, we just didn't know when. It's like walking down the aisle on your wedding day. As your bride is coming up to you, ready to join you at the altar, then you're still flirting with the bridesmaids. You're making eye contact with the bridesmaids, which in this case were the Dodgers and the Giants. You're thinking, is this really what I want? Do you think I can do better? And then before you know it, your bride is up there on the altar with you. You're exchanging nuptials. And Bryce Harper's a Philadelphia Philly. So does this make Philadelphia the favorites in the East? Absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. How many games is Washington going to win next year? I'm picking 70 and 92. That's my prediction for the Washington Nationals next year. I'm not expecting much from the Mets. I'm not expecting really anything from the Marlins. They might lose 100 games next season. The Braves, they'll be good again. They'll be good again, but this is Philadelphia's division to lose. And I mentioned the Celtics. We're going to talk about them later in the show. Could this turn into a whole Celtics-type drama where the expectations put on them are going to cause struggles internally, where it could raise tensions inside the clubhouse and take away from the joy, the fun of professional baseball because you can't fly under the radar? They were having fun last year when they could do that. They were playing with house money. Everything they did last season, nobody expected it. It was just gravy on top. This season, it's going to come with expectations. Because the Phils decided to shell out $330 million over the course of the next 13 years to pay one man to play baseball. I'm not saying it was a bad deal by any stretch. I mean, it hurts if you're Philadelphia, and it's certainly at risk. But you get a superstar that you haven't had since... Who? Ryan Howard? Can we agree that Bryce Harper is on a different level than Ryan Howard? You want to go back even farther? Jimmy Rollins? How about Chase Utley, back in his prime? It's been a long time since they were this optimistic about Philadelphia baseball. You have to go back to the last decade when they won the World Series with Charlie Manuel. I tell you what, this is what I love about this business, because there's very rarely any off day without a big news bomb. Even if it messes up my show prep, I was so prepped for this show, I had a great one planned until maybe an hour ago, and then this wrench got thrown in. And But keep in mind, Jason Whitney was announced about three hours ago, had just signed with the Dallas Cowboys, leaving the Monday Night Football booth. I just recovered from that wrench being thrown in my prep plans, and now i got to recover from this one as well. But I love that. I love that about this job. Always gives us something to talk about, It's the beauty of it. 
Kyler Murray is going to be coming up later in this show. We're going to talk about his measurements and how that can affect his draft stock. We'll have a little bit more on Jason Witten. I'm going to save some of that for tomorrow when I have Ryan Steig here. I've got a couple of guests that I want to welcome in, including one who's going to touch on the breaking news out of Madison yesterday. Alex Hornibrook entering the NCAA transfer portal. My next guest joins me on headset to talk about it and break it down for you. Next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The big news out of Madison this week is that Badger quarterback Alex Hornerbrook will be entering the NCAA transfer portal, leaving the Badgers with a quarterback controversy entering spring ball. My next guest gives us a little insight on the topic. Mitchell Speltz covers the Badgers for ESPN Lacrosse, our affiliate in Wisconsin. What's up, Mitchell? Thanks for hanging out with us. I'm doing well, Tanner. Long time, no talk. And it's been an eventful past 24 hours here in Wisconsin with the Hornybrook news and yeah, it caught a lot of people by surprise, but I think this is a very interesting move for the program. It caught me by surprise, too. Hornibrook, I know he had his faults and what have you, but he was a winner. He won a lot of games for Wisconsin, got him to the Big Ten Championship before, posted a 26-6 and record as a starter. So to hear you as one of the insiders say that this was a surprise makes me feel better, like I wasn't on the outside of something. But was that kind of the case among media members down there in Wisconsin? This was a surprise move? Absolutely, Tanner, and the anticipation was that Hornerbrook would have been the starter had he been here for his senior season, but here's what's interesting, Tanner. They have a four-star recruit, Graham Mertz, who is the number one pocket passer in ESPN recruiting, and he's already on campus, so he's going to be ready for spring practice, and there was a lot of disgruntled fans last year with Hornerbrook's play because he went backwards. He had a very good year two years ago when they just lost one game, the Big Ten Championship, and then went to the Orange Bowl, where he won the MVP award there against Miami. They were expecting bigger things when they entered the season fourth in the AP pool, but then they lost five games this year. So there were disgruntled fans mostly because of his play. He threw a lot of interceptions. He had two concussions, and he had just a bad year. Jack Cohn, his replacement for those games, was not great, but he wasn't bad either. So my anticipation is going to be Cohn against Mertz for that spot. Uh, for Hornibrook, as for Hornibrook, I have no idea where he's going to go. I would imagine a lower-level school, not a power conference school, but certainly a surprise. But I think when you think about it, Tanner, I think it did make sense for Hornibrook. When you look at what Cone can bring to the table compared to Hornibrook, obviously they burned the red shirt and they let him play in the bowl game, and he leads the team to a thump over Miami, taking him down 35-3. to And people really liked what they saw about Cone. Is that kind of the philosophy here, is that maybe – Hornibrook would have been the starter, but Badgers fans wanted Cone going forward? Cone was a guy that some people wanted. It's Graham Mertz that they're mostly excited about, but to go back to Cone, he had a couple of good games. The Miami game was a big one, and he also had a big one against Purdue. He also had some help from Jonathan Taylor in both games, and that's always very relieving as a quarterback. But Jack Cone has some talent. He comes from Long Island, New York, and has a lot of the passing records there. He's got a good arm. And a little bit more athletic in terms of a runner than Hornybrook. Alex gave them literally no threat as a runner in the pocket as a quarterback. And that really limits your ability, I believe, as a passer. Cohen at least could get outside of the pocket and maybe make some plays for you. Had a very good arm as well. You could see sometimes watching him up close. I just think it could, it's going to be close between Cohen and Mertz for that spot. And I think Alex Hornybrook knew that he was probably going to be pushed this season for that spot. Just didn't want to take the chance, go start his final year of eligibility. 
somewhere else and rather than take the chance of sitting out on the bench for his final year. Well, you talk about Mertz and how he's the top-ranked pocket passer by ESPN. What does he bring to the table as a runner? Or are there any ways that he can differentiate himself from Cone? It's interesting, Tanner. I think he's got a similar athletic ability to Cone. He had a very good all-star game for his senior year, and I think that is really what caught people by surprise. And I think you kind of can get this feeling a little bit too, Tanner. The state of Wisconsin, quarterback play is, very prestigious, obviously, with the Packers. They, had Aaron, they have Aaron Rodgers right now, and I think that certainly gives them the sense they hope you get good quarterback play at Wisconsin. They really haven't had that since Russell Wilson was the quarterback for the Badgers, and I don't think Mertz is going to be Russell. What he did in his one year here was truly spectacular. But I think Mertz has, just because he's that high-profile quarterback coming to town, he can be that guy who can really, I think, get Badger football another dimension that they've normally never had. This has normally been a ground-and-pound offense. It has certainly been with Paul Chris at the helm. And with Jonathan Taylor, that's probably going to continue to be the case while he's here if this is his last year upcoming. But I think Mertz gives you a similar athletic upside. But I would say, based on what I've seen from him in his high school games, it's hard to judge against college teams, obviously. He's got a very good arm, a very sharp arm. You just got to see, does that translate to the college level? A lot of people here think it will. I'm not sure if it will right away, so that's why I think Cone could be the starter initially. But I think they're going to be in pretty decent hands at the quarterback position going into the fall. Mitchell, how's the team reacting to the news that Hornibrook is departing? What are his teammates, uh, how are they reacting to all this? They're in support of him, and they always have been. And there's been, after games when Hornibrook's had bad games, the spotlight is always on him, and he's always handled it well. And when his teammates are asked about him, they really always have his back, say he's a hard worker and he always does the right thing in practice, and it's no different here, Tanner. They are in full support of what Alex Hornibrook is doing. They understand his situation. And I think this is a guy that knows he can play at the college level, and his teammates know that as well. And they know the hype around Graham Mertz, who's on campus. I just think maybe it's one less distraction that leaves. And I know that there's some players on this team as well who you know want to go as far as they can. There's a pretty good amount of talent on this Badgers team. They lost a little bit to the NFL draft this year, but they're handling it well. I think they're really in support of what he's doing because they know what they'll have at the quarterback position going into next season. So as far as I know, Tanner, this is a team that's always had his back and still has his back as he makes this decision to go into the transfer portal. Talk with Mitchell Speltz. He covers the Badgers for ESPN Lacrosse and Lacrosse, Wisconsin. Mitchell, I know that Alex hasn't let on where he may be landing here for the coming season, but based on what you know about him, his skill set, what he brings to the table, is there an offense that stands out to you? You could see him fitting into that he could step in, be plugged in right away, and work well in that system. There isn't one that comes to mind where he could go. As I mentioned, Tanner, he's fairly limited about what he can do because he's strictly a pocket passer. He's not a guy who's going to scramble outside and make something happen, not a runner by any extent. If I had maybe a guess on it, I would say maybe look for him to go out east somewhere because he is from Pennsylvania initially. And when he came out of high school, he initially committed to Paul Chris when he was a Pittsburgh. And then when he flipped that recruitment to Wisconsin, that's when Paul Chris came to Wisconsin as well. So maybe somewhere closer to home makes sense for him. Maybe somewhere at a conference like the MAC, I think, could make sense for him. I don't know if he'll go to the Big Ten or anywhere, or any conference like that, just because, you know, competition could be big there as well. 
at the end of the day for Hornetbrook, his intentions is to play as the starting quarterback in his final year of eligibility. It could be at a smaller school. I could see him potentially going back home and near that area to play somewhere. But I don't anticipate it's going to be somewhere big. And as of now, I don't know if there's one specific school that sticks out to me initially for him. Well, I'm glad you brought up the Big Ten and the aspects of that and him going back to Pennsylvania, perhaps, because I wonder if you've heard anything from your time covering the Badgers, if there's any talk that maybe the school might try to block him from going to a Big Ten opponent because Penn State went in on Brandon Wimbush, the former Notre Dame quarterback, and tried to recruit him before he ended up picking UCF. And I wonder if they could be in the market for a quarterback, maybe someone with Hornybrook's skill set, considering it is his home state. Is there any reason to think that Wisconsin could block a potential transfer to a conference rival? As of now, Tanner, there are no restrictions on Hornybrook's potential transfer here. And I don't think there will be. I mean, I've been covering the Badgers for a few years now. And get, knowing Paul Chris, that would be his decision. He's a really laid-back guy. And I know he has a very good relationship with Alex Hornibrook. As I mentioned, he originally committed to him while he was the coach at Pittsburgh. I don't think there will be any restrictions on him. And I just think, quite frankly, I don't think Hornibrook is maybe the high-profile quarterback, perhaps like a Winbush in the outside he had at Notre Dame. To really, I think, you know, Dare, I'll say Wisconsin, if he were to go somewhere in the Big Ten. I think you look at the powers of the conference, I certainly don't think he's going to go to any of those schools. If it were to, like, let's say Indiana, just throwing out a hypothetical there, I don't think they would block it at all. So I don't think there's any chance or any likeliness that Paul Chris is going to say, no, you can't go to any of these Big Ten schools. I think he's going to let Alex Hornibrook choose where he wants to go. It's his final year. It's his choice. And I anticipate that's going to be what it is going forward. Well, Mitch, getting away from Hornibrook in the quarterback situation a little bit, Heisman odds came out earlier this week. Jonathan Taylor was the highest-ranked running back. It's looking like it's going to be a quarterback award this season, but he's got a real chance to get his name called in New York. Tell me what he needs to do. I'll tell you what, Taren, the number one thing that Jonathan Taylor can do to improve his Heisman stock, or even his draft stock for that matter, he has got to be a much better pass catcher. He I don't even think he caught five passes last year with the Badgers. He's just not comfortable in that area. He's a very good downhill runner and can do a lot in that department. I think we've all seen that for the past two years now. And I think he's going to be an NFL guy at some point. But he's got to learn to catch the football better. And this was a problem with Melvin Gordon as well. Remember his final years in Wisconsin, he was explosive. But he just wasn't a good pass catcher. And he really transformed his game. Now you just look at him with the Chargers and the threat that he is. A very good pass catcher as well as an explosive downhill runner. I think Jonathan Taylor doesn't have that same explosiveness, but maybe better in the downhill department, but he's got to get better catching the football out of the backfield. Screen passes, you just watch him. He doesn't look all that comfortable. You're not going to swing him out or run him any sort of option route like that. If he can take that step forward, he's going to be a very tough running back to handle for opposing defenses. He was, I believe he did go over 2,000 yards this year on the season, which is one of the Obviously one of the best marks in Badger history. He was only one of three guys to do it with Ron Dane and Melvin Gordon. So that's a pretty elite company considering the running backs this program has brought in over the vast handful of years. Taylor's going to have another good year, barring no injuries, obviously. But I think if he gets that pass-catching skill set added to what he can do, he's going to have a fantastic year and possibly a year in New York, even though you mentioned a lot of good quarterbacks such as Tua Tagovailoa. Ian Book at Notre Dame, a couple of guys that stand out as guys who could maybe win the Heisman in New York as the quarterback. I tell you what, last thing before I let you go, 
Looking at the Big Ten, still way too early. We're just getting started with spring ball. Anything that stands out to you that could be the surprise story? Who could be the dark horse in the Big Ten this season? Could that be Wisconsin? You know, it could be because they play in the Big Ten West, and we both know, Tanner, the Big Ten West is not as strong as the Big Ten East. Mm -hmm. Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, all on the east side of the division of the Wisconsin. Kind of has it easy. Iowa's a pretty good team. Uh, Minnesota, you never know what you're going to get with them. Nebraska had a down year. Northwestern was the defending champs. I don't know if they'll do it again, but Wisconsin certainly seems to be the consensus favorite in the Big Ten West every single year. They were last year, even though it didn't happen that way. So if they get to the Big Ten championship game, they certainly have a chance. But I compare them against maybe an Ohio State or a Michigan. I don't know. I just don't see it. Michigan was a team that was really close to getting to the playoffs. Same with Ohio State. You could have made an argument for both of them. I just don't know if they're going to be able to win the Big Ten. You never know. It's a one-game playoff, essentially, if they get to the Big Ten championship to put themselves in position. But they do have a more difficult schedule next year. So that could make it a lot more difficult for them to maybe be that dark horse team. But the fact that they play in the not-as-tough division, the Big Ten West, it certainly gives them a chance to get to the Big Ten title game and get to a New Year's Six game. Talking with Mitchell Speltz, ESPN's lacrosse Badgers insider. Appreciate it as always, my man. Good talking to you again. We'll talk again soon. Absolutely, Tanner. Thanks for having me on. Take it easy. We'll take a timeout. More on the Sports Pen after this on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. We welcome in Jake Durant from Local 3. But before we do, here's your Sports Center update. Iowa basketball coach Fran McCaffrey has been suspended two games by the university, and the university has been fined $10,000 by the Big Ten Conference after McCaffrey berated officials following Tuesday's loss to Ohio State. The Philadelphia Eagles have announced that they will not franchise tag backup quarterback Nick Foles, making him an unrestricted free agent. And finally, retirement? No thank you, says Jason Witten. The former NFL tight end is back after spending one season in the booth as the color commentator for Monday Night Football. Witten re-signs with the Dallas Cowboys for $5 million. He is the franchise leader in career games played at 239, pass receptions with 1,152, and receiving yards with 12,448. He is third in franchise history in receiving touchdowns with 68. So Jason Witten back in the NFL. He will be playing for the Cowboys this season. That leaves a hole in the Monday night football booth. Who's going to fill it? Who's going to partner with Tess and Boog? I want it to be Randy Moss. Let's get Moss for Monday night football. That's my pick if we can't swing Tony Romo over from CBS. NFL Combine. You're a big fan of it, and I like that because I don't know many people who pay attention to the Combine like you do. And that's perfect because we're right on the heap of it. And Kyler Murray has been making the headlines today because his measurements were officially released. That was the biggest thing for a lot of these teams. I want to say I was almost dead on with it. I can't prove it, but I predicted <laughs> I don't believe it. 5'10", 205. He's 5'10", 207. So I can't prove it. No one will believe it, but I was that close. I believe you. I appreciate that. So pretty comparable to Russell Wilson, to be quite honest with you. 
The biggest worry I have for Kyler Murray is the weight that he's put on. Because I know he was trying to beef up, get bigger. When he went on TV for the Super Bowl, I mean, he looked a lot thicker. And this is a guy that's gained almost 30 pounds since the end of the college football season back in January. So my biggest question mark with him is I saw that he was eluding defenses like a cheat code. Is he still going to be able to do that almost right. 30 pounds heavier? Right, and that's and that's what teams are going to have to try to figure out. And that's, you know, the biggest question. Um, his talent, you know, on the field, it wasn't a question ever. He's a first-round talent. Um, there's no denying that, but it's it's the measurables when you're talking about a guy who some people thought were, was five eight before mm-hmm. the, you know being measured, and that's really short. Um, but five ten, you know, there's there's some shorter quarterbacks that have had some success, a la like you said, Russell Wilson, Drew mm-hmm. Brees and company. So um, it, that was a big thing, and obviously his hand size um, ended up being nine and a half inches, which um, you know these are all numbers. You know these are just numbers for GMs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it doesn't. Numbers don't always translate, obviously, um, into the how you play. Uh, example being Tom Brady, yep. who had a terrible combine. And if you haven't seen his combine, go and watch it because it is <laughs> it is bad. I honestly think I could have had a better combine right now than Tom Brady had when he was like in his peak physical fitness. Maybe not, but you know. I, I'd like to think so. Yeah, I would. You know I, I mean? Yeah, look um, like you're in pretty good shape for but, it. Right, but um, you know. Even with the measurements, he's not going to throw in the combine. I, I was hoping to see him throw, mm-hmm. um, but he has everything on tape. Obviously, when you're already being considered as a number one pick, and he don't, if you don't have to, why risk it and, and hurting your stock? Um, you know, he, he looks like he's he's legit. Um, what I think? Do I think he's the, the best quarterback in the in the draft this year? I'm gonna have to put him right behind Dwayne Haskins. I think mm-hmm. Dwayne Haskins is more prototypical. Um, obviously, uh, you know your Giants. You know, I, I kind of watch the Giants too. Um, looking for a quarterback, so yeah. I guess my question to you: Would you rather have the Giants? Um, it seems like they're going to go Dwayne Haskins, but if they had picked Kyler Murray, you know, what are your initial thoughts? Well, I'd be happy with Kyler Murray, but I think Dwayne Haskins fits into that offense better. I think he would gel with Pat Shermer really well, so I'd be happy with him taking Haskins, especially since I really want Murray to go number one to Kingsbury. I just want it to happen, and right. you got to think thirty-two teams in the NFL now are going to be in on it because you know his height isn't going to be the reason that he's going to be kept out of the NFL. I mean, shorter quarterbacks have done it. Russell Wilson is successful with it. His height is not going to be what restricts him from working out as a National Football League player. Yeah, I mean, some guys are just special. Mm-hmm. You know, you can just tell. Um, and, and just watching the combine, you know, you some guys just jump off the screen. It's not even like their numbers are the best. Just watching them, the fluidity of them, um, how they how they perform, you know, just, just the, the calmness, um, the ease some guys have, just being athletes and Obviously, when you're being considered for the MLB and and NFL, you're some special kind of athlete. You played at the one of the be- better colleges, uh, bigger programs, played at the highest level to the highest degree, um, you know, in some big time pressure situations and performed well. So I just think, uh, you know, I think he, I don't, I don't see how you can have any really negatives other than, you know, maybe he's a little short. Um, I would, I, I agree. I would love to see him go to go to Arizona. And, and for me, if I'm a head coach. And I have an opportunity to get my guy if I was Kingsbury. Josh Rosen kind of seems to be a little bit of a head case. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know the guy personally. And he didn't draft him. He That's didn't draft him. You know what? He didn't draft draft him. And if I'm a head coach, I'm going down with my guys. My mm-hmm. ship's going to sink You know, with, with the guys I want to have on the ship. I don't want to you know, have to rely on somebody that maybe I'm not 100% um, 
four. Kingsbury's an unusual hire that if he doesn't win right away, he's out. That's what I mean. Um, in the NFL, you know, you only have a couple years to show. So, you know, get a guy that might fit your system better, that can run around, make plays if things break down. Um, you know, I think it'd, it'd be he'd be a perfect fit in, in Arizona. Then you could, you know, Josh Rosen played. Per, I watched Josh Rosen just tear the Packers apart last season. Mm-hmm. He's a good quarterback. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like you could probably you could probably trade him and get get some some capital back and and get your guy in Kyler Murray and then um, what a what a bang to start off the NFL draft that would be because um, then that kind of sends send a shockwave down the whole the whole first round um, because now you're kind of scrambling because guys are gonna you know maybe a guy that you didn't think was gonna be there with your pick might be there mm-hmm. now so um, it should be interesting I think yeah I think. It would be interesting to see. I, I, I guess the New York Jets are looking to maybe trade out of that number three spot, which yeah. I don't really blame them. I think you know if if I'm one of those top picks this season, there's some good defensive players. But I mean, realistically, if you wanted to trade back, get a couple more picks, you could still get a guy that's going to contribute pretty pretty great. Um, so you know maybe a team will move up. You know maybe the team might want to j- jump the Giants and and Kyler goes first, and then some team will take Dwayne, and then the Giants are kind of just stuck. Well, I'm uh, glad you brought that up because. The Washington Redskins would be ideal for that, for that number three spot to try to make a deal. And if Jacksonville doesn't land Nick Foles, they pick number seven right after the Giants. They're still in the market for a quarterback. Those two would be the two teams that the Jets should be looking to make a deal with unless Nick Foles can work something out with Jacksonville. Then it's just Washington that would be in contention for that. But I don't think this will happen, but what if it did? Nick Foles becomes the NFL's Bryce Harper, and he milks the Jaguars for everything to try to get a contract because that's where I think he's going. Mm-hmm. His old offensive coordinator that he won the Super Bowl with in Philadelphia is there now. That's where I think he's going. But what if he holds out like Bryce Harper did, especially until the draft? Because keep in mind, you've got the draft saga. That same weekend is the championship for the AAF. And right after that, those players are going to be eligible. So those players are eligible to sign as free agents. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, everything's a business. So mm-hmm. you know, if if you're Foles, do what you got to do. If I was the Jags, I would try to get Foles and maybe draft a quarterback, just because you know you you have a strong defense, even though they didn't live up to the hype this season. But I mean, really, there's not like too much too much of a weakness. They were just in the AFC title game two years ago. Get Foles in there. Maybe draft a guy. I can kind of sit behind Foles um, because honestly, I, I think Foles is a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. Do I trust him in a full season? Right. You know, I don't know if I trust him in a full season to be consistent. Mm-hmm. I trust him in a small sample size in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, when he only has to win two or three games and focus on you know one game at a time. But do I trust him a full sixteen, you know, regular season games? I don't. I don't know. I don't think I do. I don't think he's he's a franchise quarterback. I, he's a Super Bowl champion. I can't take that away from him. But do I think he's a, he's wants to be a franchise quarterback do i think the jacksonville jaguars can win a super bowl with them with that defense i don't know maybe they could now that i think about it i don't know well i tell you what if anyone's in the market for a quarterback johnny manzel is back out there as of yesterday (laughs) the canadian football league forced the montreal alouettes to let him go because he was in violation of their contract so johnny manzel puts on twitter yesterday that he is out in the cfl and he is on his way back to America looking for opportunities in American football, whether that be in the NFL, in the AAF, maybe arena football or the XFL. I don't think he's going to stoop that far because he's Johnny Manziel and he's not going to let himself go he, down there. He could be the face of the XFL. I'm just throwing it out there. It would be so much fun. Johnny Manziel, XFL, it just makes sense. 
you know, I could see him doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, they would love it. You know, they would love it. That's exactly what the league wants. They want these guys with edge and things like that. But I just don't think Johnny Manziel is that great of a player. Can to I be say honest that with you. I don't believe the XFL is going to last more than one season? I, I think what really hurts the XFL is this, this AAF mm-hmm. league coming in. If that league didn't develop, I think the XFL might have a better shot. But now there's just so much competition. Um, you know, coming out the gates in the first season, I think this developmental league for the NFL is is actually a pretty good. I think, I think it's pretty good. It I mean, right way, yeah. for football junkies who who can't get enough football, I mean, I like to tune in, and mm-hmm. um, you know, it's very interesting to watch these teams that I don't really know anything about, and then be like, oh yeah, that that guy. You yeah. know what I mean? I know. Um, I was watching. The, oh, I forgot who it was, but uh, they had uh, Michigan's running back. Um, forgetting his name blanking on his name right now mm-hmm. um but an old michigan running back who i who i just totally forgot about um who was playing on the team and i was like oh that's that's cool and trent richardson yes. there. And, uh, i don't see any really great great quarterbacks playing in the league but no. i mean there's there's some good wideouts that have been making some noise some good running backs yeah. um you know zach stacy's one of those guys yes. that has been playing really well um so it's interesting to see um XFL is going to have to definitely bring their own type of vibe to it, which they very well could. You know, maybe they're going to allow fights. I don't really know, but they're going to have to make it a circus you know, because the AF, they need a niche. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because the AF is going about this the right way. They're being professional. They're being just different enough from the NFL, but almost treating it like a minor league system. They've got a fantastic TV deal with CBS and. Uh, the NFL Network, various other networks, and they've got fantastic broadcast crews, and they still almost folded one week into the season, into their first season. just makes me think there's no way the XFL could survive. So that makes me wonder, does Johnny Manziel have a future in the AAF? Ooh, I mean, it's going to be tough for for the league to kind of want to take that on. The thing is, He's not really. He hasn't really played that well. Even with the Alouettes, he mm-hmm. didn't really play that well. I think he he threw about as much interceptions as he did touchdowns, if not, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a little bit more interceptions. Who knows? But um, you know, that was one of my my when Johnny Manziel got drafted with the Browns. Like I was all about Johnny Manziel. I thought he was gonna, you know, play play well, you know, and and be that guy for the Browns. Obviously, I was completely wrong. Um, but I mean, with all the chances this kid, this kid I'm gonna still call him a kid because yeah. he seems to still be a little bit immature, um, has had. It's hard for me that a team's gonna want to take a chance when you got probably a better option, a better quarterback, um, unless you're just trying to sell tickets. I mean, yeah. maybe that's the case, but he just seems like a headache to me. He hasn't really been playing all that great, even in the CFL. Um, he could probably come over and play in the, the the AAF and make a little bit of noise and play decent, but. I don't think he's going to be in the NFL again. He seems just like the too many cons over the pros, I think. Two to three years from now, AAF Super Bowl, Johnny Manziel against Nathan Peterman. How much fun would it be? <laughs> I mean, I would watch just to watch the train wreck happen. <laughs> I mean, I mean, but, you know, I like to root for, for players and get right. comeback stories and comeback season and stuff. So um, any players who kind of, you know, kind of fell off in the NFL and can and can work their way back in, man, I'm, I'm all for one of those, you know, success stories. So um, I'd be rooting for both for both teams and for both guys to, to just do something and, and maybe resurrect their careers. Last thing I want to touch on in the NFL, it's been a bad week for the Cowboys in the sense that Randy Gregory has been suspended indefinitely, fourth time that he's violated the NFL's substance abuse policy. One of two Cowboys to do that this week, but they're suddenly the favorites to sign Earl Thomas. Kind of hurts me. Kind of hurts me because yeah. I thought I thought Green Bay might have a shot. Yeah, get on it, um, to, to get on. I'm, I'm waiting for it. Yeah, I thought they had the shot. He's he's saying he's going to be aggressive and things like that. I know it's a process, and and obviously he can't really do much right now. But 
you know, I'm, I'm waiting for that big signing, whether it, whether it's it's or a trade, whether it's bringing in Brown, you know, bringing in a guy like like Earl Thomas, a guy like maybe Landon Collins. Um, I was even thinking maybe Deshaun Jackson. If you can't land Brown, why not soup up a guy like Deshaun Jackson, who's a vet, but he he can really spread the field and and open things up for that offense. If you don't want to spend all that money on Brown, viable option. But um, something about the Cowboys, man. I feel like you gotta you gotta break the rules if you want to be on the Cowboys. You know, uh, they just keep. It's a broken record. This happens all the time. It's either injuries or guys getting suspended. Randy mm-hmm. Gregory has had so many chances. He's like Josh Gordon, you know, keeps keeps messing up, keeps messing up. Um, you know, this team has has a shot. I mean, they're not a bad team. Bringing Earl Thomas, if if guys weren't getting suspended, I'd give them a better shot to actually do something um, and be a Super Bowl contender. But I mean, I just don't get it. I don't I don't know what it is with the Cowboys. They just get suspended. Bad boys, I guess. I don't know. Jake Durant from Local 3 in the studio with us. We owe you our last time out. When we come back, we'll update the brackets on our greatest sports movie of all time poll. Plus, why are the Celtics falling apart like they are? We break it down next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP, Tanner Hoops, Jake Durant with you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Winding you down to the 5 o'clock hour, don't forget Patriot Girls Basketball here on ESPN-UP tonight, closing the regular season at Kingsford. It's a weird start time, 7.30 pregame, 7.45 tip in the Eastern time zone. We're going to be crossing over to the Central time zone for this contest at Kingsford, so we hope to have you tuned in as the girls close out the regular season. Well, I neglected to do this when we started the show, but I've got a shout-out to give, and then I've got brackets to update you on. The movie brackets, as we're trying to find out the greatest sports movie of all time. First, my shout-out. A few days ago, slipped on the ice, didn't look good, my pride was hurt, but I was surprised at how quickly I got back up. Had a little bit of pain, I had trouble falling asleep the last few days or so. And I just thought, you know, I slept on something wrong. I was having some pain in my upper left side of my back. And go to my chiropractor yesterday. It tells me I have a dislocated rib. And I'm like, oh, no. I wonder if that has something to do with slipping on the ice a few days ago. So they got me fixed up. I've shouted out to them before, but I don't know where I'd be without Dr. Mike, Dr. B, and Heather. So thank you guys for helping me get back to <laughs> sleeping okay and feeling a lot better than I was a couple of days ago. Uh, also... We had the first segment of the basketball and hockey greatest movie of all time uh, voting. Miracle was all over Glory Road, 83% to 17%. Like Mike over Basketball, 77 to 23%. Hoop Dreams took down Joanna Man, 70 to 30%. And Mighty Ducks blew past Sudden Death, 92% to 8%. So the polls are open. They've been open for about 45 minutes now. And you can vote until midnight tonight on the bottom half of the hockey basketball bracket. The matchups you're voting on this evening, Space Jam against Goon, Semi-Pro or Hoosiers. Those two shouldn't be in the first round, but again, blind draw. Coach Carter or the Pistol, and Slapshot against Celtic Pride. So those are the matchups coming up this evening as we continue on trying to find out the greatest sports movie of all time. Can I get my take? Yes, please do. Um, I honestly think Mighty Ducks is... is is the number one movie mm-hmm. um, in that first bracket. Um, very sad to see basketball. I Run like a, basketball. Basketball, I really man. Do. I was at the perfect age when that movie came out. Um, <laughs> you know, I was just all about basketball. It was a unique idea. That should be a sport. It looks fun. That should be a sport. It looks really that sh- fun. That should be a sport. 
get on it, somebody. Let's start a league. Maybe yeah. that's what we should do. Start a um, basketball a league. Basketball league. So very sad to see basketball uh, get knocked out. And then Coach Carter, man. Mm-hmm. Coach Carter. Um, I don't know. There's something about Coach Carter. I think that movie... It was a really good movie. I, I like that movie. I would, that would be my vote, Coach Carter. There's some great movies that aren't going to make it out of this bracket. You know, we had to combine basketball and hockey because we try to fit everything into the bracket. I know we probably didn't get somebody's favorite movie out there. Don't count out Miracle, though. A lot of hockey fans up here. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's it's what sport do you, you know, like the most, I guess. Mm-hmm. What, what are you the biggest fan of? For me, I'm a basketball and football fan. So naturally... My my take is going to be like a Coach Carter movie, um, just because I enjoy the sport more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and basketball. I mean, I guess you just got to be a sports fan. Um, but uh, Mighty Ducks, it, it is a hockey movie. But I mean, there's a lot of personality. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's it's fun. It's 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 just one of those iconic movies. And I guess it all has to do with age too. I guess who's voting right. um, in these brackets too. So um, yeah, man, I'm I'm all about, I'm, I'm Mighty Ducks, Coach Carter. Jake Durant again from Local 3 in the studio. Tell you what, though, the Celtics have lost four in a row. They have not won since before the All-Star break. I am pulling my hair out because I still believe they're the most talented team in the Eastern Conference. I really think that they are. And for whatever reason, they're not putting it together. They're still... 11 games over 500, something like that. So, I mean, they're winning. You know, they're going to make the playoffs. They're probably going to be no worse than a five seed. But when you get those expectations put on you, last year they flew under the radar. They're not doing that this season. I think that's what Marcus Morris meant a few weeks ago when he said that his team's not having fun, is when you're not living up to those expectations put on you. And you get that target on your back, and it becomes a whole different ball game. I just want to see the Celtics get back to how they were last season because Kyrie's starting to turn into LeBron as far as how he leads the team. You've got players that just don't look like they did last year. The young guys like Rozier. It's not scary Terry anymore. It's only scary in the sense that he plays for Boston. Tatum and Brown don't seem like they've taken that step forward. They might have even taken a step back. Even Brad Stevens doesn't look like he he has that coaching capability that he had last season. Right. I mean, last season it was it was super fun to watch this team play. You know, I got to see them live, and man, they were getting up and down the court. All everybody was getting involved. They had some sort of like weird. You know, Milwaukee's an up and coming team. I went and saw the Bucks and mm-hmm. Celtics play in the playoffs, and they just had the Celtics just had this this aura about them. You know, it it it, it felt special. And, you know, that's when I was there. You know, I went into that game as a neutral fan, and I left there as a Boston Celtics fan because I was that impressed by the team. Um, but I think they're dealing with uh, an identity crisis this year. I mean, last year they were this team. Obviously, they had um, a chip on their shoulder, Gordon Hay- Hayward going down um, in his first game, then, then their leader, Kyrie Irving, going down. They were basically playing with house money. Everything mm-hmm. they did was, was you know unexpected, so they didn't really have any pressure on them. They had their two budding stars in Tatum and Brown who were taking the league by storm. You know, they were, they were young. They were hungry. Um, and then they had, you know, those point guards, when you talk about Smart and Rogier, um, playing with something to prove. They hadn't even arrived yet. So um, everyone was talking about, oh, no, Kyrie went down. This team's, uh, this team's through. They're done. Um, you know, they, they're playing with a chip on their shoulder. And then, like you said, this year, they have the target on their back. They're supposed to be a, quote-unquote, super team mm-hmm. with all that uh, talent and all that depth that they have with Hayward back and then Irving. Um, but I just feel like the pressure... Of, of being that super team and supposedly running away with the East coming into the season. I think that kind of caught up with them a little bit, especially when they started not winning and things didn't kind of um, fall into place like people thought it would. Because sometimes when you look on paper, 
it doesn't always translate to the court. And there's always chemistry issues. You know, you're, you know, a lot of fans don't see that. There's always, you know, there's egos, there's personalities in the locker room. Um, you know, and guys sometimes aren't on the same page, especially when you talk about um, guys who were playing major minutes last year. And now we have Hayward coming back, and and Irving obviously playing that starting point guard spot. You're not getting as much minutes. You're not getting as much shine. And um, you know, Irving kind of said it himself. You know, some guys feel like they can be doing more, and because they're not doing more. Um, it's affecting their play, and I think it's a, it's really a mentality thing. I don't expect Kyrie Irving to come back next season. I just think there's too much going on. Um, you know, the, just the kind of weird way he's kind of trying to be be leading this team. I know we talked about it last week. I don't really agree with a lot of the things he's been doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think deep down in his heart he doesn't want to be there. I think he's he's planning on moving on and, and doing something different. And, I mean, if they, they don't accomplish what they set out to accomplish, which obviously is winning the East at least – I mean, talk about a disappointing season, especially when you're talking about a team with such high expectations coming into the season. You know, when I watch them play, it's almost like, I just, you can do more. I just feel yeah. like you guys can do more. You have more talent than this. Granted, last night they went up against a really good Portland team. you got to give credit to uh, Portland and Damian Lillard and, mm-hmm. and company. I mean, this this team, you know, is, they're in the Western Conference. They're the four seed. They don't have, you know, the greatest talent. I mean, they play well as a team, but they don't have, you know, superstar talent. Obviously, with them with, you know, Lillard's a ta- uh, superstar talent, but um, they're a scrappy team, man. And, um, you know, they might be overachieving a little bit as you see Boston underachieving a little bit with what kind of talent they bring to the table. Well, I tell you what, there's still plenty of time left this season to turn things around. There's still the playoffs ahead. If the season ended today, they would play Philadelphia in the first round, who they've had a ton of success against. Winning is the greatest sanitizer for a locker room that is at each other's throats. And that's kind of where the Celtic they're not there yet, but they're heading toward there. And winning is always the great solution. And I think that would be the only way to get Kyrie Irving back next season or even get in the Anthony Davis sweepstakes because I think they either get them both or they get neither of them for next season. I don't know if they're going to get one or the other. I think it's either all or nothing, whether it comes to Kyrie or Anthony Davis. So how far do the Celtics need to go in the postseason for Kyrie Irving to want to come back or entice Anthony Davis to want to come there? I mean, if they win the finals, I mean, Kyrie's probably coming back. Right. If they win the Eastern Conference, is that enough? If they get bounced in the semis, is he out? Where did, what did the Celtics need to do? I think, I mean, I think they have to win the East. I think they have to go into the finals, and I think they have to. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that maybe they face the Warriors. Let's, you know, mm-hmm. shocker, but um, hot take there. Um, and they got to give them kind of a run. You know, they got to they got to win a couple games in the finals. I think you know they got to be competitive. They got to they got to obviously win the East. And I think that you know I think right now for the team it's, it's championship or bust. I mean at this point. I mean as as a team with that much talent and and you know the depth that they have. Like if they don't win a championship, I think that's that's a failure. So if they can get to, out of the East and at least be in the finals and be the team representing the East, I think they would have a shot to bring Kyrie back. It would be hard for me to think, you know, if you're Kyrie, you know, we're the best team in the East, why would I not come back to this? But if you lose and you're disappointed and, and you know, there's turmoil ending your season, say you lose to Philly in the first round, I mean, I just don't see Kyrie coming back. And I don't think Anthony Davis, you know, wants to go there. I think Anthony Davis wants to go to L.A. Even last night, there was, I don't know if you watched any of the Pelicans-Lakers game, but there was just some weird things going on. Uh, Anthony Davis scored the first bucket for the Pelicans. The Lakers scoreboard put it up as the Lakers points. You know they kept cutting back to Anthony Davis. You know making you know it was just it's weird like like setting it up like foreshadowing something. Mm-hmm. So I, I you know I think Anthony Davis is going to go out west. 
But I mean, even if even if they lose Kyrie, this Celtics team is still pretty good. You know, they still have to, those two wings, Hayward. They got two pretty solid point guards. I mean, obviously losing a, a, a talent like Kyrie would be huge. But I mean, they showed they could play without him. So who knows? Maybe they would be better for it. I don't know. Well, and they would get the shot to have Anthony Davis for one season because, again, he can't control it if his team does send him to Boston. He can control if he's there for longer than a season or not. But for a long time, my thought process as a Celtics fan was, if there's anybody on the team you hang on to, it's Tatum and then it's Brown. If you have to lose Kyrie, you do. But Tatum and Brown are the guys you build around. And now I'm starting to think differently throughout this stretch because when it comes down to it, If you really have title contentions, you're going to need a guy like Kyrie Irving. You're going to need a guy like Anthony Davis. And as good as the Celtics are right now, starting to become more okay with them being willing to sell the house for Anthony Davis, including Tatum and Brown, because as talented as they are right now, it's not translating to wins. they got to do something to shake it up. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't give up both Brown and Tatum. Mm -hmm. I would give up one of them, hopefully in a package. Maybe you could send you know, Tatum with Hayward or... You know, one of those backup point guards with Rozier and a pick or something like that. Um, but you, I agree. You, you, you want a guy like Kyrie who's been through it. He's reached the top. He's beat the Warriors. You know, he was he was the reason why the Cavaliers were able to win that. He has that clutch gene that you need. Um, he's able to to take over games by himself. Um, you know, he's just a crafty vet and he knows what he's doing. You need that type of player if you want to be successful in the postseason. I could see them giving up Tatum or Brown. I would try my hardest to keep Tatum, but New Orleans aren't going to he's not they're not going to trade an Anthony Davis without getting, you know, a transcendent player. So, could you do something maybe you'd have Kyrie, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Anthony Davis? I'd, I'd take that. That that sounds pretty good. This is where I'm really thankful Danny Ainge is my GM and not Magic Johnson. <laughs> Listen, I, I love you know, Magic Magic's my guy, man. You know, he's he's a fun guy, but Man, I just don't know about his GM skills. I no. don't know. You know, I think he just he, he. I always just picture him like in his in his office, just kind of sitting back, like we're the Lakers. Like this is going to come to me. Mm-hmm. I don't got to do any anything. I love Paul George. I'll, I'll, yeah, exactly. And um, it's not working out. It's not working out. Getting back to football, the Heisman odds came out earlier this week. Two favorites, pretty obvious: Tua Tagovailoa and Trevor Lawrence. Actually, Tua is the front runner. I think I would have given the edge to Trevor Lawrence. It's not much of an edge, but I would have given it to Trevor. I would give it to Trevor, too, just based on, on the way last season ended. I mean, this guy looks so, like, a big, obviously a big-time talent. Um, very unique in his size and his skill, um, his athleticism. Um, two is a great player, too. Don't get me wrong. Obviously, mm-hmm. going to be two high draft picks. Um, but if I'm in an NFL team without a, you know, without a quarterback or an aging quarterback, I'm already devising a plan of how I can uh, soup up this Lawrence kid um, once he leaves Clemson. Because, I mean, I, w- I'm, I would put my money right now on Lawrence just because of, of the team he's on. They're going to be playing in some big games, and I just think he's that good. Um, I think he's a starter from day one in the NFL, and I think he's going he's gonna to win an MVP. I mean, I just think he's that good. Probably could take a team to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, if I'm Detroit Lions, I'm just saying. Tank for Trevor. I'm just saying, tank. Move on from Stafford. Start over. This guy's a beast. I do think that Trevor's going to translate to the NFL better than Tua. Yes. But still, tank for Tua, tank for Trevor. Both, I, I mean, both are in amazing, you know, programs. Both are going to put up numbers. Obviously, uh, you know, they're going to be better than they were last year, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, take that next step, being more confident. 
Um, both both guys are going to have really good seasons, and um, you know it, it's going to be close, man. We might see him in the national championship again. Number three is Jalen Hurts on the list. Maybe a little bit surprising. He transfers out of Bama, where he was a backup last season, did get his team to the national title two years ago. Is that a testament to Jalen Hurts that he's number three in the Heisman odds, or is it more to Lincoln Riley? I think it's going to – I would say a little bit more to Lincoln Riley. Obviously, Jalen Hurts playing at Alabama. He he was the star player there for you know his time when he was a starter. Um, but obviously, you had Kyler Murray winning it, Baker Mayfield winning it. Um, there at Oklahoma, it's, it's Heisman U, man. Um, Jalen Hurts, he has the talent. He has the foundation. He's going to go there, and um, I think Lincoln Riley is going to have him in the running. I think he's going to put up mad numbers in that offense. You know, it's just quarterback friendly, puts up a lot of numbers. Um, and then who can, who, like I said earlier, who can go against a very good success story? You know, he's going to have a chip on his shoulder this year. He's going to want to prove everyone at Alabama wrong, you know, that he can still play. He's still a great quarterback, and, you know, I, I see him. Wanting to have a big year, I think he's going to have a big year. I think he'll be right there, um, and I think Oklahoma is going to be right there again. Um, you know, playing for a playoff spot. See if he can get Lincoln Riley back to the postseason before he takes the job as the Dallas Cowboys head coach one year from now. I think that's happening. You can go back to this tape a year hey, from now save and it. check back to it. Save it. I would not <laughs> like that at all. I think that would Lincoln that, Riley to the Cowboys next year. No, please bank no. on it. Please no. I tell you what, fourth in the Heisman odds. Justin Fields transferred over from Georgia to Ohio State. Jake Fromm's backup, and yet he's well ahead of him on the Heisman list. He's thrown less than 40 career college passes, and he's number four on the Heisman list. Is that, I mean, it's surprising, but is it warranted? I mean, if you want to just talk about maybe potential and obviously him going to Ohio State, um, you know, he's going to be, he's a, he's a guy who, you know, had a lot of, a lot of buzz coming into college. You know, it's it's kind of weird that he's ahead of Jake Fromm. You'd think Jake Fromm would kind of be there. He's a starter. He beat out him mm. I'm at Georgia. But, I mean, he's obviously a talent. And, and Ohio State, man, it's a good team. He could probably put up numbers, and he'll be right there. Jonathan Taylor, we mentioned earlier in the show, is the top running back in the Heisman odds this season. Yeah, I mean, in, in order to win the Heisman, if you're not a quarterback, you got to do something pretty pretty insane. Um, you know he's gonna have, obviously have to lead the lead the NCAA in rushing, have a, a ridiculous amount of um, touchdowns. He's gonna have to break off some big runs. He's gonna have to maybe win games on late, um, do something crazy, and obviously his team is gonna have to be successful. Um, you know I'm looking for a defensive player to win. I'm a defensive yes. guy. Where's the Char- Charles Woodsons of of the world? Mm-hmm. You know let's let's you know obviously he played a little offense too, so mm-hmm. that could probably go go towards it, but. You know, it is. It, it's it's basically a quarterback. It's a quarterback award, man. I think the light went out on a defensive player winning it again when Manti Teo lost. Yeah, I miss the Manti Teo days. Oh, man, Manti Teo, what an interesting guy. Those he are some. Was a fascinating. He guy, was a fascinating guy. There were some weird times the Manti Teo. Yeah, there were. Man. But yeah, he was a really good player. I know he he played for your your squad, so I'm sure you're a fan. But yeah, I mean. I think it went out the window then too as well. Tell you what, before we sign off for the day. It's a big weekend for the UP because we've got the high school tournament, the boys in full swing, the girls starting next week, and then three straight days of the Northern Tech rivalry. You've got basketball tonight in Houghton, men and women close the regular season, and then tomorrow night, hockey in Houghton, Saturday, they're here in Marquette. A lot on the line. A lot on the line. Yeah, if you're a, you're a fan of local college sports and you know Northern and Michigan Tech, 
Um, if you can get up to the, the basketball games tonight uh, at Michigan Tech, I'd suggest doing so. I mean, um, the enemy women's team has a chance to win the GLIAC North Division uh, title outright um, for the first time in, in you know two decades almost. Uh, Michigan Tech right there, if they win, you know, they're, they're going to be crowned. Uh, you know the conference championship. Uh, a lot on the line for postseason as well for the the tournament. Um, Tech with uh, with a loss could be knocked out. So and and at the hands of their rival. Um, so you know big things on the line for the women's team. Obviously the men's team. Um, uh, the Michigan Tech men's team not not in the GLIAC tournament this year. But what you know you know they're going to want to be knocking off their rival to end the season and kind of gain some momentum for next season. And then in hockey, man, a lot on the line for hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, NMU still could possibly get home ice throughout the postseason, I think, with a win and some help, a couple wins and some help. Um, but both of those teams battling, you know, both of those teams battling um, and, and you know, obviously want to gain some momentum for the postseason. I think this is going to be an insane weekend and, and bragging rights, obviously, on the line like like every year. And, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's rare that both teams – um, for both men, women, basketball, and hockey are so equal. You know, even in the standings, they're pretty equal. So um, I think it's going to be a good a good weekend. So if you can get out and support the teams, I'd suggest doing it because um, there is a lot on the line this weekend. It is super week for the UP, and it's great to have you here, Jake. As always, we're out of time, but uh, looking forward to next week again. We'll see you around at one of these games, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be out and about uh, high school basketball, uh, you know, this weekend, next week. So you see me out. Say hi, and uh, yeah, let's uh, let's do this thing. That's it for us here in the Sports Pen. As always, appreciate you tuning in. Tune in tonight, Westwood Patriot Girls Basketball at Kingsford. 7.30 pregame here in the East Coast, 7.45 tip on ESPN-UP WZAM Ishpeming Marquette.